Hello and welcome back to the Greedy Men Podcast. I'm John Riggs, your host, and here as always to equip, encourage, and inspire God's men to live God's way for God's glory in these last days. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Um, I hope that you guys are all doing well and enjoying these podcasts. I hope that they're for your good and for God's glory. And we know that as Christian men that we are to live our lives for the glory of God. That's what we're here to do. And so along with all of that, I want to talk to you about something that we've really not spoken much about on this podcast and maybe a question that some of you guys may have, and that is in relation to prayer. And I've titled this message for the podcast today, When Gritty Men Pray. Um, you know, there's a lot of different um, opinions about prayer out there that you could find on the internet, but what we want to do is obviously go to the Word of God and see what God's Word says about prayer. When you come to James uh, chapter 5 in verses 16 through 17, we read these words. <clears throat> the prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and yet he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three and a half years it did not rain on the earth. Now there's some interesting things here just in this little passage. The interesting thing that I want to point out to you guys, number one, is to, to not underestimate the power of prayer. And not only that, we learn here that there's great power in our prayers. But there is also within that, we see here in this passage of Scripture that powerful prayers or the power that's released in prayer um, comes from men who are righteous. So righteous men um, are able to pray, and they're to pray with fervency and expectation, knowing the God in whom they are praying to, and understanding why we even have this great privilege to come to the God of all creation and to make requests to Him as our Father. And so I don't want you to ever underestimate, guys, the significance, the importance, and the power of prayer. And you as a man of God, you are going to have to be a man who disciplines himself in the area of prayer. It's something you have to do. In fact, guys, as we lead our wives and as we lead our families through the seasons of life, we are going to have to be men of prayer. Um, God moves through prayer, and God answers prayer. And so we find, though, that there's great working power in prayer. And then we find this man, Elijah. You know, we have a tendency in Scripture to um, put some superhero status on the great men of faith. In fact, even today, if you're not careful, you'll elevate men um, and call them great men of faith. The reality is there are no great men of faith. There are just men of faith that serve and have faith in a great God. And Elijah was a man just as we are. And yet Elijah was praying and asking God, of course, the story, knowing that he uh, was praying in accordance with God's will here. He did pray that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. That's a powerful prayer um, that comes from a righteous man serving in faith uh, this incredible God. So um, don't, um, don't, don't think that for a moment as a man of God that you have any less ability to 
have God working and answering your prayers any different than Elijah did, for he's a man just as we are. And so it's, in, it's incredible that God put that in Scripture for us because I think it's very, very important for us to understand. Um, in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, um, we're reminded by the Apostle Paul here in this letter to the Colossian believers. He says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, Paul says, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So Paul here writing to these men, yes, he was imprisoned, but he was asking that they would pray for Paul, that he would have an opportunity not to be set free from prison necessarily, but to have the opportunity, even in his chains, to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And power knew, Paul knew the power of prayer as well. And notice he, he tells these men that they are to remain or continue steadfastly in prayer. The word steadfastly means to continue to do something with intense effort. Now, I want you to think about this. When was the last time that you prayed with intense effort and you continually sought the Lord for something? It means uh, to do this with intense effort with the possible implication um, of despite difficulty. Even though sometimes prayer is difficult and it is work, um, we're told to continue to do this with intense effort. It means to devote oneself to, to keep on, to persist in. And so Paul here tells these men and us today that when it comes to prayer, we need to be men who continue to pray with intense effort, devoting ourselves to it, keep on doing it, and persist in it despite the difficulties in prayer. Paul makes this very, very clear. It means to be earnest towards something, to persevere, to be constantly diligent in or attend assiduously all the exercises to adhere closely to. The word assiduously means showing great care, attention, and effort marked by careful or persistent application. In Romans 12, 9 through 12, we read, Let your love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and constant in prayer. We're told here to be watchful in it, Paul says. Not only are we to be steadfast in prayer, but we're to be watchful in prayer. What does it mean to be watchful in prayer? It means to give strict attention to, to be cautious or active. It is with careful, meticulous, scrupulous, <laughs> and, and punctuous um, by showing close attention to detail. What does that mean, right? What Paul is saying here, when it means to be watchful in it, that you're going to give strict attention to your prayers. You know, sometimes you pray and it's just kind of like you just pray and it's just words, right? Like, for example, um, now I'm not going to 
I'm not trying to say that this is necessarily wrong, but when I was growing up, we had a prayer that we did as a family around the table for mealtime. But what I can tell you is, is that repetitive prayer really meant absolutely nothing to me whatsoever. It was just saying some words. It was repetitive, right? And I could go ahead and tell you the prayer even now because it's, I memorized it. It's stuck in my mind. And we said it every single meal, not every meal, but we said it often at mealtime. And it was not something that I put any thought to. Uh, it didn't have any meaning to it. You know how sometimes you're just praying and you're not really thinking about what you're praying about. You're not putting much effort. What Paul is saying here, guys, is that we need to be very meticulous in the way we pray. In other words, we need to give some very, very strict attention and cautious and active present when we're praying. This is, this is very important, and I say this as well, guys. When it comes to prayer, we need to be very detailed in our prayers. In other words, have you ever had somebody ask you for something very vaguely, and it, it was like so vague that it encompassed something very, very broad, and so you couldn't really zero in or pinpoint exactly what it is this person really wanted? When we come to the Lord in prayer... We need to be watchful in it in a way that we are very um, decisive and very clear about what we're praying about. And so I want to encourage you guys as you go to the Lord in prayer and you're praying fervently and, and you're praying watchfully that you're very specific. How come it's very important in the way in which we are specific in our prayers? Here's one of the reasons for that. Because when God answers the prayers of a righteous man, we want to know that our prayers were answered. And when you're praying specifically for something, you can know when that prayer has been answered by God. And so be very, very, very um, precise in prayer. Now, it is true there's sometimes that we, we have situations in which we are praying, but we don't know exactly how we should pray for the situation. For example, sometimes I'll have people ask me to pray for them about certain things. Now, I don't know the will of the Lord in all of those situations or even in my own personal situations. So sometimes I pray, Lord, I pray and I ask your will to be done in this, but I don't know your will. So this is how I'm going to pray and ask and seek you in this thing. We also know that Romans tells us that the Holy Spirit of God prays for us in accordance with the will of God. Even when we don't know how to pray, we have an advocate, the Holy Spirit, who is praying that God's will would be done in our life. So we have a helper in prayer. And so sometimes, guys, we just don't know how to pray about a situation. Some things are difficult for us to navigate and understand as men, especially as leaders um, and being involved in that role within our marriages and within our families and within our businesses and ministries, there's just some things we don't understand and know, and you won't know specifically how you should pray for that. But remember, that doesn't mean we're not obligated to go to the Lord in prayer, to intercede for that person. Even though we don't know, we can always count on the fact that the Holy Spirit of God is going to pray as a helper for us in accordance with the will of God to be done in our life. And that gives us great encouragement when we come to the Lord in prayer. 
And then notice he mentions here, too, that we are not only to pray um, steadfastly and also being watchful in it, but we're to pray with thanksgiving. That literally is giving thanks uh, for God's grace. The very fact that we have been given the extended grace of God, that in Christ, by faith in Him, we are in a position that we can approach God in prayer, there is gratitude that even comes from that, that we understand it's a great, immense privilege for us to come to God and to seek God in His counsel and to ask God for things that we need or things that we want um, in relation to what's going on in our lives, not always knowing the will of God. Um, we know that we have been extended grace in order that we can stand in this place, as Hebrews says, that we can boldly, not flippantly, but boldly approach the throne of God where we can, what, receive grace and we can receive mercy in our time of need. So we don't approach God flippantly. In fact, we do it with gratitude and thanksgiving, understanding that the only reason we're able to approach God in prayer is because of Christ Jesus and the position that we are in by faith and that we can stand in that position and we can come to God um, with expectant um, courage, if you will, to approach Him in this way, knowing that He is our Father. So it is true that when Paul wrote this to the, to the Colossian believers, there's no question whatsoever that they may have had um, some questions in relation to what God's will would be for them in certain areas of their lives, just like we have as well. But Paul makes it very clear, one thing they can know, that it is God's will for them that they should be men of prayer. That is the will of God. Number one, it's the will of God that we pray, guys. It's the will of God that we pray. It's the will of God, number two, that we are to pray with intense effort, devotion, diligence, and perseverance. I want you to think about that second one. Are you praying that way? Are you praying with effort, intense effort? Man, this is like... This is putting your heart and soul into this. This is effort now, devotion, diligence, and perseverance. It is God's will, number three, that we are to pray with detail and attention as to what and how we pray and what we ask God for. Number four, it's God's will that we pray with a heart of gratitude. And here's another reason you can have gratitude in your prayers. Because we know that God hears our prayers and that we have this incredible privilege to approach the God of all creation, the eternal God who lacks nothing, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or imagine, who has zero limitations for anything, who knows the end from the beginning, as we read in um, Isaiah chapter 46. We know that God is sovereign. He is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. And so we have great confidence in approaching a God who has these attributes. And we know that God knows best what we need in our life. And the scripture says God knows what we need before we ask it. But here's the thing. I, I need to pray in, with that understanding that God knows. He knows the very best. 
And that's why we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. We can be assured and have confidence in approaching God in prayer by faith in Christ. We stand justified before Him. We're able to come to Him. And now we bring our prayers and requests to God. And we pray in this manner. And we do it with gratitude, knowing that God will answer our prayers according to His will. And that's what we want, because we don't know everything. Sometimes I've heard people say, well, don't pray for God to answer your prayer according to His will. We want God to answer the prayer this way. Hold on. You're, you're looking at it from a very, very small vantage point. You, you can't see the end from the beginning. You can't understand the, 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 the whole landscape of what God is doing in your life and in the life of others and what is ultimately best for us. We have to be able to trust. If anyone says, don't pray for me if you're going to pray the will of God for my life, then they don't have the first inkling of, what, of, of any understanding about even what they're saying. By all means, we want God's will to be done in our life, His good and perfect will to be done in my life and in your life and the life of my wife and the life of my kids and, and the, life, the wife of my son-in-law and my daughter-in-law and your in-law kids and, and, and all of your extended family and, and friends and, and men and women that you pray for. We want God's will to be done because ultimately the will of God will be best for us in our life. And that's what we want, right? So here's the question. As we think about this on how we should pray, um, we, we have this given to us in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and I want to show you um, who we're praying to and then some significant factors about this, which I've already covered a little bit, but let me just give you some scripture to back up what I've just been saying about our position and the access we have to God and why we have it. Let me just say this, okay? In Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, one of my favorite sections of Scripture as well. I love the book of Romans, but in Romans 5, we read this. Since we have been justified by faith, that means we've been what? Declared righteous, we've been, we've been set unto God, we've been wiped away all of our, um, our, our opposing sin to God and the punishment and the penalty of all that sin. We have been made right, we've been placed in right standing with God. It's a judicial statement where we have been stamped righteous and justified. We are right before God. That is an incredible thing to be, to be right before God. And the reason we are is because we've had faith, our faith we have put in Christ Jesus and in the work that Christ did in order to attain for us salvation. And so we have the imputation of the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Here's the only reason, men, that we can pray and our prayers are heard by God, and we can approach God and have access to God in prayer. It is all because of Jesus Christ and the grace of God and the mercy of God, and we are in a place of standing in right, right justification before Him, that we are right before God. And the only way we are right is what? We are justified and we are righteous 
because of Christ. We have His righteousness. Therefore, I can come into the very presence of God. I have access to God now, not because I am righteous myself, because I'm not. Because, see, the Scriptures teach us that without holiness, no one shall see God. Why? Because He's perfectly holy. Here's the thing. We are not perfectly holy. We still sin. But I have the imputed righteousness of Christ. And by faith in Christ, I have been justified. And I stand righteous before God. Think about how incredible this is. I'm now before God, the God of all creation, once alienated from God, once um, deserving of wrath, still deserving of it, once an enemy of God, without God, without hope in this world, but God who is rich in mercy has done something incredible. He has, he has given me what? This incredible gift of salvation and faith to believe and what? He has taken away my sin, the penalty of that, the damnation that would follow, and all of that has been covered by the blood of Christ. And now, because of Jesus Christ and my faith in Him, I now stand before God in this position and I'm able to approach Him, not on my own standard or merit, but on the merit of Jesus Christ and on the work that He did in order to redeem you and me and to give us His righteousness. This is an incredible gift. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, that's Christ, we also have obtained access, access to the Father. This is amazing. By faith into this grace in which we now stand. We are in a firm standing on grace, a position of access to God, all by faith in Christ, and we receive from Him all of this mercy, grace, all of His righteous, this righteousness. We are now in this position, and we stand here by faith. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This is where our gratitude comes from. Not only that, but we, we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because we know if God is for us, who can be against us? And there's nothing in all creation, as it says in Romans, that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, right? It says we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So number one, we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all actively involved in our salvation. Then we have, in Matthew chapter 6, 5-13, through 13, Jesus now is going to answer a question that maybe some of you might have today. And that is, well, John, if it is the will of God that I pray to him, and you've shared with me how I should go about praying, here's another question. Well, who am I to pray to? How do I do this, right? Well, Jesus um, answered this same question for the apostles. He says this in Matthew 6, chapter 5 through 13. And when you pray, this, this matters, guys. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Prayer is not a show. 
okay? If you see people that are praying for show, know, number one, there's a major problem there. No, we're not praying for show. And we're not using these incredibly large, big words to impress those who hear us pray. None of those things matter, okay? They're all a bunch of fluff. And it shows something of the heart of the individual. But he says, truly, I say to you, they, those that pray this way, they have received their reward. What was their reward? Basically, the reward was people saw them pray. And if someone would come by and say, wow, man, you're good at praying. There's your reward. Not much. That's all they got. But when you pray, Jesus tells these men, go into your room, shut the door. In other words, don't have to be flashy about this. Prayer is something that is private and it's personal. It's also something done in public in some settings. But he's encouraging his apostles not to pray like the hypocrites do. Not that praying in public is hypocritical. I'm not saying that. But if we have corporate prayer in a prayer meeting or whatever it might be with a group of men, um, it's, it's not that we don't do that. We do do that. In fact, it's a great thing to pray with one another as men. But Jesus is telling them, listen, there's a contrasting way in which you should pray, and, and you're going to do business with God in prayer. And if you're going to be watchful in it, and you're going to be constant in it, and you're going to be precise, and, and you're going to put effort into it, he says, have you a place that you can go get alone and pray with God? Um, just go get alone with God and pray. Maybe you have that. Maybe it's in your pickup while you're driving to town. Maybe it's somewhere in your house. you got a room set aside. Maybe it's out in the woods. Maybe it's out in the pasture. May, wherever it is, maybe it's while you're on your run. Maybe it's in the gym while you're working out. I, I don't know where you go uh, and, and you have that really connecting time with just you and the Father, but it's important that we do this. And so Jesus tells them... Um, and pray to your Father. This is important. This was a new thing for these guys. Because in the Old Testament, God was, they just didn't pray to God that way. They always had someone like Moses, or they had the judges, or they had the prophets that kind of spoke from God to them. But now Jesus is saying, let me tell you something. No, you go right to the Father. You can pray right to Him. This is a new thing. I want you to think about the significance of this. There are those within religion that don't feel like they can actually pray to God. The Roman Catholics, for example, they don't feel like Jesus has time to hear them, so they pray through other people. They pray through Mary. They pray, through, they pray to saints. They, they do all this stuff that's not biblical, but they do that. We're told here to pray to the Father. We only have one Father, spiritually speaking. No man is to be our Father, spiritually speaking. And so we have one. God the Father. He is our Father now. And so Jesus tells these men, and this is important, it's significant, that when you pray, pray to the Father, he says, and pray like this. Now he's just going to give them kind of a, an, a basic outline, if you will. Not that this is how we should pray every prayer, but there's, there's a way in which they're praying here. He says, our Father, that's amazing that we get to call God Father. We approach Him that way with honor and respect and awe. We, we approach Him because He's God, and yet we are the sons of God. We get to call Him our Father. In fact, Ephesians says we call Him Abba, which is really an endearing term for Father. 
We get to call God Father that way, and He calls us His sons. This is amazing. He says, our Father in heaven. Think about where God is and who we're praying to. Hallowed. See, there is a, a, an awe and an honoring and a worship of the way we approach God in prayer. Hallowed be your name. Then he's going to begin with the kingdom. Guys, you know this. I've taught this several times on this podcast that we are kingdom men. All men on this planet are kingdom men. The question is, what kingdom are they part of? They're either the kingdom of darkness, which is ruled over by the prince of the power of the air, known as Satan, or they are what? They are of the kingdom of God in Christ Jesus. We are of his kingdom and we are praying for his kingdom to come. Now we know that the that Jesus Christ is ruling and he's reigning from heaven and the kingdom has come in the hearts of men. But we're also praying for the kingdom of God to come to earth. And there's a lot that's involved in that. What I mean by that is we're wanting for God's kingdom to be, to be built upon the earth. Now, we know that Jesus will come again and he will set up his thousand-year kingdom and he will sit on the throne of David. And it goes back to the Davidic covenant with David and goes back to Abraham and it goes all these covenants. And Jesus Christ, although he's building his kingdom now and we are those men who have been brought into his kingdom, we've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness, brought into the king, delivered into the kingdom of the glorious son. And that's in Colossians chapter one, verse 13. And what we know now is, is that we're kingdom men. We serve the king of the kingdom. And we're praying now for his kingdom to come. And then this, God's will be done. Our focus is on God's kingdom. Always, guys, we are kingdom focused. We're about bringing glory to God and, and we're about building his kingdom and serving our king and living for the kingdom. And then we pray that his will would be done. Jesus said, pray that the will of the father would be done. So don't be scared to pray that God's will would be done in your life. I know you don't always understand what God's will is, but you can be confident that God's will for your life will always be better than your will. Always. We can trust him in this because he's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's immutable. He's never changing. He sees everything from, 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 from past to future. He, he's, he already knows all things. So this is a great encouragement to me because I don't even know what's going to happen um, in the next hour. But my God, he does. My Father in heaven knows all things. And my Savior, my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, we read about also in Romans chapter 8, that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And this is what's amazing. Scripture tells us that not only the Holy Spirit is, is, is praying for the will of God to be done in our life in Romans 8, but we also read that Christ, our Redeemer, He's at the right hand of the Father, and He is seated on His throne, and He is making intercession for you and for me. 
Guys, this is encouraging. This is why we pray. This ought to make you want to pray, knowing these incredible truths, man. If you're not praying, I want to encourage you to begin to pray fervently to the Lord God, specifically asking and seeking the Lord and praying for your wife and for your kids and for your business and for you and all the things you have need of. And we want to pray that the kingdom of God would come. Lord, we want to be about your kingdom, Lord. We pray that your will, God, would be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. We want the will of God to be done from heaven to earth. What is God's will? We want the will of God to be done, and we pray that it will be. And we seek His way first, His will first, and His kingdom first. That's why we're told, seek first my kingdom. Don't worry about all this stuff. And all these things shall be added unto you. We seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is what a kingdom man does. We're all about our king's kingdom and about the king's will and desire. And we want to what? Be men who serve our king and love our king. And, and, and we, are, we are called to pray to God the Father. And then we move from that. See the focus? Now we have a whole different perspective about what now we're going to bring in request now before this God, knowing what we know about God, the position that we are in, the kingdom that we're in, the will of God, heaven, the throne, all that's going on here now, from that perspective and understanding, now we're going to bring these requests that we have before God. And now we see this. Look what it says. This seems like it's so trivial, but it's, it's important to you and me. But it's, it's, it's so small in comparison to the greatness of a God that we love and serve and who has redeemed us, the God of all creation, the one true living God. We say this. Now we're asking. Here, here, here is our request part. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus says, listen, God knows what this day holds. We don't even know what the next hour holds. And what we do know we need. There are necessities that we must have. And so Jesus says, pray for God to give you what you need for the day. Because today has a much tr enough trouble of its own. We don't need to be worrying about all this other stuff. When we pray, just pray, hey God, would you give us this day our daily bread? Give us what we need today, Lord. Provide for us today, God. Bless us today, Lord. Give us favor today, Lord. Help us. Give us wisdom, Lord, in what we're doing today. It's all about today because yesterday is no more and tomorrow is not here yet. So we need to be in the day, in the moment, seeking God. Now, I'm not saying I don't pray for things that are coming. I do pray for those things. I'm not saying I continue to pray for my children or for my wife or for my future grandkids that I don't even have yet. I prayed for my future um, son-in-laws and daughter-in-laws before I, my, my kids were, were ever old enough to even think about marriage. And I've watched God answer those prayers. And so they're, 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 the God is faithful in those things. But what we're looking at here is Jesus says, listen, today's all you got. Pray for the needs you have today and ask God to meet those, those needs. And then he says, and then he says, ask that God would forgive us our debts, right? Um, we're mindful of the fact that when we pray, it says that the prayers of a righteous man 
availeth much. Fervent prayers of a righteous man. See, there are things that we could allow in our life, and that can be sin, that can hinder our prayers. And so we don't want to hinder our prayers. Why would that be? Because we could grieve the Holy Spirit by sin. And I don't want to grieve God, the Holy Spirit. And so although my position in Jesus Christ is sure and secure and firm, my relationship is secure I can affect, though, my communion with the Father through sin. And so we're going to keep a short leash on that. We're just going to pray and ask God, Lord, if there's any sin in my life, God, that I'm, a, I'm aware of, or I would you bring to my mind, Lord, I'm a parent, that these things could be real. Lord, would you forgive me of those things? And then in understanding how much we need the forgiveness of God in our life, he moves on and says, as we also have forgiven our debtors. In other words, we need to be men who don't hold grudges, but we forgive others. Now, I'm telling you something. I'll do a podcast on forgiveness here soon. Um, what forgiveness is, what forgiveness is not. The fact that just because we forgive someone does not excuse their behavior or release them from the, from the, from the, uh, the consequences of what they've done. No, it doesn't mean that we're just good bros again and everything's on the same level. It doesn't mean that, but I am going to forgive others so that I cannot be hindered in my own life and that I can move forward. Because some people are never going to ask you, they're never going to repent. They don't come to you and say, hey man, will you forgive me? See, that's how it works. But many times people aren't going to do that. So there are times you're just going to have to frankly just say, you know what? Because of all the things that God has forgiven me for, I'm going to choose this day to forgive this individual for whatever they've done, and I'm going to set myself free from that enslavement to that and the bitterness that comes from it and all that goes along with it. I'm going to set that person free in my set myself free from that in that in that situation. Now God will still have to deal with that person, and those consequences are real. Not everybody's going to be a pal or a buddy, and some things that have happened to you do not mean that you need to strike up a great friendship with that individual. Some people are just frankly toxic individuals, and we don't need that relationship. But I can choose to forgive that person so that I'm able to go on and live a life that honors and glorifies the Lord. And I can just say, Lord, I give this person over to you, and Lord, you can deal with that, and uh, I know you will. And so... Then we move here, as we also forgiven our debtors. And then he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, we know that God never leads us into temptation, right? Um, as we're going to learn, I'll do a podcast on this soon, too, as well, um, that God can't be tempted by sin, nor does he tempt anyone, right? Um, but we don't want to be led um, by our own passions, <laughs> as Scripture says, and our own lust and the, our own desires to be enticed into sin. We pray that God would protect us from ourselves in this. Lord, please protect me. Guard my heart, Lord. Guard my mind, Father. Help me in these areas and deliver us from the evil one and from evil, period. We need that in our life. So Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the second person of the triune Godhead. He is the eternal Son of God, and He teaches these apostles and us the way in which we are to pray and whom we are to pray to. Number one, we are to pray to the Father, God the Father. The only one we are commanded to pray to in all of Scripture 
is to God the Father, right? That's who we pray to, our Father. That's who we pray to. Um, in Deuteronomy, um, let me see here. I'm not going to use that scripture as too much. If we pray in another way, I would say this very, very clearly, okay? I want you to see this and understand that because I'm, I'm just saying this. Now, some of you, when I say this, you might get upset, um, but that's okay if you do. If you have any questions about this, man, I, can, I will spend some time with you, teach on these things, whatever it would be. But let me say this. Nowhere in Scripture are we ever commanded to pray to the saints. Never. Nowhere in Scripture are we ever told to pray to Mary. Never. She can't hear you, and neither can the saints. Okay? We are to pray to one, to God the Father, through Christ the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the way we are to pray. Period. Now, if you have any questions about that, send me an email, a text. I mean, a text message. You can get me here on the link below. Contact me there. I'll be more than happy to reach out to you, and I'll be happy to teach you what the Bible says about these things more clearly today, okay? So we are, pray, we are to pray to the Father through the one and only mediator between God, the God, and man. There's only one mediator, guys. There's not two. There's one. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. You say, well, John, where does it say that in Scripture? Well, I'm glad you asked. In 1 Timothy 2.5, we read this, Paul writing to Timothy, For there is one God. We know God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. And there is one mediator between God and men. Who? The man, Jesus Christ. The God-man, Jesus Christ. That's who we're talking about, Jesus Christ. What is a mediator? A mediator is an arbiter, an agent uh, that is to go between one and another. That's what Jesus Christ is. He is our mediator. And the mediator is guaranteeing the performance of all the terms stipulated in a covenant agreement. See, Jesus Christ... He what? He made a new covenant with his blood. And we are covered by the blood of Christ in covenant with Christ. And his covenant is an everlasting covenant. And what we have as a mediator is the mediator is mediating between me and God, displaying and guaranteeing that the terms that are stipulated in the covenant are kept. He's a mediator. That's what he's doing. You don't have a man mediate between you and God. You don't need Mary to mediate between you and God. You don't need a saint to mediate between you and God. They have no ability to do that. There's only one who mediates between you and God, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. He is our mediator. He intervenes to restore peace between two parties, especially as it fulfills or ratifies a covenant. So, in Hebrews 4.16, let me just share a few passages with you about this. 
Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in help or to help in our time of need. Because we are in Christ, God the Son, who is seated at the right hand of God the Father, we are in Christ, and because of this, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Now, I already mentioned that earlier, so I'm kind of doing it twice, but nonetheless, I want you to hear this. So we can come and ask directly, directly through Christ, we can come to the Father and ask, isn't that awesome? You don't have to ask this person to ask this person to ask Jesus to ask God. You don't have to do that. You go straight to the Father through the Son. He is our mediator. Um, in James 15, uh, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. John, excuse me, John 15, 16. You did not choose me, Jesus speaking to his apostles, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name. See, Jesus is reminding them, you ask the Father and you ask the Father in my name. You're actually praying to the Father through the Son. He may give it to you, right? So we're praying to the Father through the Son. We pray to the Father through the Son. Nowhere in Scripture are we to pray to anyone or through anyone other, anyone other than the Father, through the Son, and by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Now, in John 14, 6, we read this. Jesus said to, to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way you and I come to the Father is through Jesus Christ, and that is in salvation, and that is the only means by which we can come to God is through Christ in salvation, and we're able to, what, access the Father because we have the imputed righteousness of Christ. Therefore, we can, being holy in Christ, approach the holy God of all creation. So, we read this in Acts 4. 4, 11, 12. This Jesus is the stone that you rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is one way to the Father, and that is through Christ the Son, the only way, period. There is one name under heaven where we might be saved, there's only one, and his name is Jesus Christ. Now, so Jesus Christ alone, he is our Redeemer. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, we read this, For our sake he made him, that is Jesus, God made Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin. He was sinless so that we in him might become the righteousness of God. That is the manner in which we are able to approach the Lord God, the Father, in prayer. So Jesus Christ alone is the mediator. Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. <clears throat> now, we have been adopted. This is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And 
It's, it's awesome. So in Romans, we read this. We can read it in Ephesians as well, but here it is in Romans. In Romans chapter 8, 14 through 17, For all who are led by the Holy Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That's an endearing term for Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we are heirs. We are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. So God is our Father through adoption by faith in Christ Jesus. This is an amazing, 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 amazing thing. So here's an example. When my kids need something, um, especially when they were younger, not so much now that they're older, um, they would come to me and they, they were able to have access to me. Not everyone is able to have access to me in the way in which my kids are, obviously. Um, even as a pastor, not everyone has that access that my kids have or my wife has um, or my or my immediate family in general has. They have an access that is different than even those people that um, are a part of, my, of the church body even. Um, and so, yes, I'm readily available for so many things, but there is a very special access that my children have and that they are able to come to me. And they don't have to use any fancy words. They don't have to use big verbiage, you know, the these, the thous, the thines. Um, we, 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 they just come to me and they say, hey, Dad, <laughs> that's, that's it. That's all it takes. They're my children, and I love them. And they always have access to me. Um, if my kids call me and they need something, if I'm able to, I'll answer that. They have access to me. And I desire to be able to help them. I want to help give them what they need. And we know this as fathers. We understand when our kids need things. Now, there's a lot of things they want that's different, but things that they need, it is my desire to help meet those needs. I want to do that. And I'm telling you something. God is a far better father than I ever could dream to be or you could be. He is the perfect father, and he wants to what? To give us the things that we need. But you know what? I also really enjoyed the fact that my kids would come to me when they needed something that I could help them get. And the same is true of the Father. I know the Father so thoroughly enjoys it when we come to Him as God's men and we come to our Father and we have needs and God the Father even so much more and better than, than you and I could be. And He gives perfect gifts he knows the perfect things to supply us with. And He knows what we need, even when we don't know what we need. There's sometimes your kids will ask you for things, and you're like, no, you don't need that. Let me show you what you need. And you give them what they need, not necessarily what they ask for. Because what they were asking for wouldn't really give them what they were needing. So God desires for you to come to Him as God's gritty men, kingdom men, and God desires to answer your prayers in relation to His will for your good and for His glory. God our Father, He is not stingy, guys. He's not a stingy God. No, not at all. 
He commands us to come to Him. In fact, a little bit further down in this passage in Romans chapter 8, we read this in verses 26 through 34. Let me, let, let me read this to you guys. It'll encourage you. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That's the Holy Spirit. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Holy Spirit Himself, He intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. See, He, he, he searches the inner part of our being. And this is incredible. What is the mind of the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit intercedes for the saints. That's you and me, Christian men. According to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Why? For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined. And those he predestined, he conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And to whom he called, he is also justified. And those he's justified, he is also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Guys, it doesn't get any better than that. So we have the Holy Spirit, as I mentioned earlier. He is what? He's interceding for us in accordance to the will of God being done in our life. That is great encouragement for me. And I thank God, the Holy Spirit, that He is praying and interceding for me on behalf of God's will. That is a powerful thing. So there are things happening in my life, I know, that are happening as a result of the Spirit of God praying in accordance with God's will being done in my life. And then, secondly, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, He is at the right hand of God. And what is He doing? He is interceding for you and for me. And I know that there's things that are happening in my life that are a result of Christ Jesus interceding for me on my behalf. This is an incredible gift that we have as being those who are of the family of God, being adopted by the Lord God Almighty, the Father, through Christ the Son, and dwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. How amazing is this? So interceding is to make a petition, to intervene in favor of another. That's what we do when we pray for one another. I intercede on your behalf. In other words, I've got some friends that are going through cancer treatments right now. And um, 
There's one particular man that I'm a very good friend of mine that I love as a brother in Christ. And I get to pray for him. And I get to intercede for him. And I get to do that for a lot of people. And we have this great privilege of, of, of being part of this incredible working power of God. And we get to intercede on behalf of one another. Just as Jesus is doing and the Spirit of God is doing for us. Paul prayed to the Father through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now in Colossians 1, 3-14, um, I'm going to wrap this up pretty quick because we're nearly an hour. But let me read this to you as well, guys, just to encourage you. We always thank, Paul says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard of before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, your beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Holy Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And here, listen, they're asking very specific things for these, these men in, in this church in Colossae. We have not ceased to pray for you. This is what Paul's doing. He's interceding for them. He's asking. Notice, notice how he's watchful in it. And notice how he's persistent in this. Or he's constant or steadfast in this. Paul says... From the day that we've heard of this, we have not ceased to pray. There is a steadfastness in what Paul is demonstrating here in prayer. It's what we learned earlier in this podcast. And he's asking now some specific things for these individuals in Christ from the Father. Listen to what he's asking. We pray, asking God the Father, that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's a very specific prayer. So that you can walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. They're praying that they're going to increase in the knowledge of God. They're praying also that they would be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might for endurance, for patience with joy. Paul's praying, giving thanks to who? The Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. That is incredible, guys. And so here's the deal. As we wrap this podcast up, I would like to challenge you men in your prayer life that you would take this verse and remember these things. Number one, that the prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. And that the fervent prayer of a righteous man brings forth much. That we are to what? Continue, guys, steadfastly in prayer. In other words, don't tire in this. Keep it up. 
Some of you, your kids are grown and they don't know the Lord. They're not living or walking with the Lord. And you've been praying for them for some time. I want you to be very, very, very diligent in your prayers for them. I want you to be very, very specific in your prayers for them. And I want to encourage you, as you have been doing, to continue to be steadfast in prayer and to be very watchful and very fervent and very poignant in the way in which you go about praying for your children or for whatever it might be. Don't stop. Don't quit. God is faithful. Don't ever forget that. And so, men, I want to challenge you in your prayer life. And I know that all of us could admit and agree that our prayer life could be better. But when you understand who you are in Christ and who you get to pray to because of God's grace, His mercy, and the faith in Christ, the position you stand, that you are able to enter into that great city and you're able to approach the throne of God. Guys, and you have the Holy Spirit praying and interceding. And Jesus Christ, your Redeemer and your Lord, He's interceding. And God the Father, who desires to give good, perfect gifts to His children. Listen, men, I want to encourage you to pray. The enemy that we have does not want men to pray. He doesn't want you to pray. Or if you pray, you're going to pray this, 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 this prayer like we used to pray at our dinner table. And it means nothing. And it has no, no effort, no diligence, no meaning. It's just words. Didn't accomplish anything. It's just going through the motions. Guys, if that's where you are, I want to encourage you right now to change that today. And I want you to begin to write down your prayers. Write them in a book. Write them. Why? So that you're able to be very specific and you'll be able to watchful in it. And when God answers prayer, and don't forget to do this, pray with a heart of gratitude, knowing that God hears you and that your God answers prayer because He alone has the power and the ability and the authority and the might to answer anything according to His will. Guys, I love you in the Lord. God bless you guys. Stay gritty, and we'll see you next time on the Gritty Men Podcast.